Story Water by Rumi A story is like water that you heat for your bath. It takes messages between the fire and your skin. It lets them meet, and it cleans you. Very few can sit down in the middle of the fire itself, like a salamander or Abraham. We need intermediaries. A feeling of fullness comes, but usually it takes some bread to bring it. Beauty surrounds us, but usually we need to be walking in a garden to know it. The body itself is a screen to shield and partially reveal to light that's blazing inside your presence. Water, stories, the body, all the things we do are mediums that hide and show what's hidden. Study them and enjoy this being washed with the secret we sometimes know and then not. Hello and welcome to Inner Journey Podcast. I'm your host Dawn with part two of a nine-part segment dedicated to the theme of language. I'll do some recapping of last episode by folding some of what I think are the most important details into today's segment and build on the theme of language and emotions. In the first few weeks of becoming aware of how widespread the COVID-19 crisis really was, people in my life were using the word apocalypse, and I had a lot of resistance to it. It was nothing I could pinpoint initially, just a sense of, as a teacher, keeping a level head, and rather than jumping to labels, I thought, Let me just wait this thing out and watch and not be afraid. When I saw a clip of author Elizabeth Gilbert on Instagram calling herself out for what she called adding drama to trauma, I thought to myself, yes, that's exactly what I mean. That's what I'll tell my students when they use the word apocalypse. Then, six weeks into quarantine, I decided to look up the word apocalypse and saw that it means unveiling. Seven weeks in, the author I'm reading, Glennon Doyle, mentioned the word crisis and said it meant to sift through or a sifting process. At eight weeks into the quarantine, I'm using the word apocalypse and crisis with ease and continue to marvel at all that is being unveiled that we must sift through. God, I love words. At this point in quarantine, many have watched more Netflix than they can just about handle and started and finished the projects around the house that have allowed for a feeling of productivity and have been useful for keeping the emotions at bay. But remember the root word of emotion, moat, means to move, and that the emotion, when not allowed to move, just starts to get louder? So here we are. Now we're just in it. I wonder if that's you or if you're sensing that or if you're trying to numb or distract yourself from what's coming up. I'm holding the question lately. How do we make room for how we feel when we don't have the language to express it? I'll share a little bit about myself here because for nearly my entire life, I felt like a person who has felt and perceived and maybe even known 
so much more than I could ever articulate in words. My mom joked that as a toddler, I would point to things and say, eh, and my older brother and sister would just get them for me until she told them not to in fear that I would never learn to speak. As a kid, I would wake in the night screaming, terrorized by what I saw in my dreams, but I couldn't describe them. I would get so frustrated with people around me as a kid that I would use curse words I heard, but use them incorrectly, and my parents would reprimand me as they were trying to stop laughing because I had just called someone a damn it, or in frustration, yelled the word jackass to no one at all. As I grew up, my feelings continued to be larger than my vocabulary for them, and I found that expressing them, even to a therapist, didn't feel that good because I couldn't put words to the feeling. At best, I could use metaphors, and that helped a little. Most of the time, though, I would feel like something was wrong with me for feeling so much all the time. I remember when I used to go to church, before I stopped going because I left pretty pissed off most of the time at what was being taught and what wasn't being said that needed to be. But once after I spoke at the church's public meeting, a woman came up to me who had just had a baby and said, it's probably just postpartum depression, but you are so intense you make me cry. She meant it as a compliment, but even still, it played into the narrative that I was a little extra in the sensitivity department. And unless someone was swarming with hormones, they probably couldn't relate. And that was me when I was censoring myself. Only in the last two years have I started to ally myself emotionally. I tried for years and years to practice self-love, but it was so stressful. I would only think to accept myself or practice self-love when I was feeling shame, and shame brain revealed itself to be an unwilling and unreliable character to play nice-nice. Something clicked when a friend of mine gave a talk about relaxation as the primary spiritual discipline and said that instead of self-love when we're disturbed emotionally, the practice could be relaxation response, or seeing where relaxation is available in the body. She described how that could lead to a deeply restful feeling, and that when we're relaxed, we tend to naturally like ourselves. I found that to be true, and it was also true that I couldn't do all of life's duties from my bed or in a deeply relaxed state. And because that upright stance often proved to be a triggering one, I had to find other ways of practicing self-love, especially when triggered and feeling unlovable. Instead of what is wrong with me, I started to ask the question, what limitations am I bumping up against here? The word limitation is our word of the day today. Coming from Latin limitare, which means frontier. When I think of frontier, I think of a wide open space like the Badlands in South Dakota or the Grand Canyon, a space that invokes so much feeling, yet all you can get out is wow or oh my God. I remember learning the origin of the word ole in Spanish. Elizabeth Gilbert, the author I mentioned earlier, gave a lecture once about it 
She said, before the modern humanist era, creative genius was not attributed to individual people, but to inspiration from the spirit world. Demons in ancient Greece, muses, genies, and, as is made evident in the etymology of the Spanish word ole, even Allah. The Moors of North Africa ruled the area of the Iberian Peninsula, known as Spain, for nearly 700 years. Their language was Arabic, and no language other than Latin had a more profound effect on the history and evolution of Spanish. Today, over 4,000 Spanish words come directly from Arabic, nearly 8% of the Spanish lexicon. One of those words is olay. There existed an ancient tradition among many Moors to have great celebrations that included dancing. And when a dancer performed at the highest levels of grace and intensity for that moment, they were believed to be vessels through which Allah was acting. And the moment allowed the witnesses to see a glimpse of Allah's power through the artist. So it was customary for the Moors of North Africa centuries ago to exclaim Allah when the dancer was performing in such an inspired and moving way. And that became the word ole. So, we can stand on a frontier and say wow, and we can see God in the dancers dancing and say ole. But these are one-way experiences. The frontier and the dancer are doing their frontier and dancing things, and we're just commenting on it. What about when our awareness is the expanse as vast as the badlands, and our emotions are the dancer, and the dance isn't pretty, and we want to communicate with another about the expanse as to share or quell our loneliness, or we want to explain what's coming up for us emotionally to take care of the relationship. This is where we can come back to the question, what limitations am I bumping up against here? And this is where we may find at least three things. One, a contract that valences your emotional experiences. Two, the English language is inherently limiting when it comes to emotional experience, and spiritual for that matter. And three, even if we inspect and throw out the contracts that we've signed without our knowing, our being can intrinsically feel much more than our brains can comprehend. Let me explain what I mean. Most of us have inherited and unknowingly signed certain contracts about our emotions that valence or give power to them. Whether that power is positive, negative, or neutral in its charge. Example, in my family of origin, there was a contract that each person had to sign. This wasn't spoken, of course. That contract was that you were not supposed to get angry. Of course, as we know about anger and the pressure cooker effect, the anger will continue to present itself at a larger and larger volume until you get the message. And anger, by the way, carries an important message that a boundary needs to be set or restored 
or that a value is being revealed. Enter into the scene, the societal contract we sign as women, for example, that a woman should never raise her voice. Then, sprinkle in the spiritual lie not to sweat the small stuff, and there you have it. Explosive anger and passive-aggressive behavior that ruins relationships. Could we have valued our irritation, identify values, set boundaries? Who knows what would have been different or what relationships could have been saved? To the point of language limitations, in the language of emotions, Carla McLaren shares that our emotions typically arise in groups or pairs, and there are about 17 emotions that can be identified. Yet, there are only three English words to describe paired emotions. The word nostalgia, expressing sadness and happiness. Bittersweet, that could speak to grief and joy. And gluttonous the experience of feeling both angry and happy. She also explains a fourth word, ambivalent, coming from ambi, or more than one, and valence that I described earlier. So someone who's feeling ambivalent is not someone who is checked out or doesn't feel any charge, as we are led to believe, but someone who is feeling more than one emotion coming up and has given valences or powers to those emotions. Often this is a negative valence and the person shuts down. Finally, to the last point of being able to feel and experience more than our brain could comprehend. Besides our gut feeling and the somewhat recent human discovery that our gut has gray matter and brain-like cells in it, making it so that the gut can bypass the central nervous system i.e. the brain, the parts of our being that can experience intuition and awe are far more subtle and intelligent than our mind, making it really hard to understand, much less articulate, what we feel. Interestingly enough, the Sanskrit word kavalya, that means spiritual liberation, is synonymous with the English word isolation. This makes me wonder if all the saints and sages took vows of silence, not because they were holy or pious and speech was a gluttonous usage of the tongue, but because they had no words to put to their indwelling or ecstatic soul experience. So while sharing this with you, I'm realizing I'm not offering any solutions. So I'll offer you this reminder. The word language comes from lingua, or tongue. We don't need our tongue to cry or sigh. We don't need our tongue to dance or draw or write. We don't need our tongue to feel and release a scream primally. Next time you experience what you think are your limitations, consider that they may not just be yours. Consider what containers you live in in this time of containment. What contracts you may have signed about emotions in the container of your family of origin. What spiritual lies or platitudes press down on you from the container of your society. What limitations are there in the container that is the vessel of your mother tongue. And consider drawing yourself near in the process 
it could be a wonderful thing to realize your emotions are doing exactly what they are meant to do and you are exactly ten times more brilliant as a being than you thought you were. Your loneliness may be a symptom of your process of liberation and saints and sages have something in common with you. Your limitation is your frontier and humans have naturally always explored frontiers. You have the time now to gather any tools you need for that exploration and people like me will be here cheering you on. Because even though we are alone, we are alone together and we are, each one of us, related in this human family. And if we tune in, we can feel that with every cell of our deeply intelligent being. So, thank you for wondering with me. And 13 thank yous, in fact, and honey in my heart. Though not every episode has a guest to converse with, we do have a, a musical experience from my dear friend Yam or Brian Dwyer. He was an earlier guest in I think our second episode or third and he self-taught at playing this beautiful, beautiful flute and so this is his music. He's also in a band called Earth Practice who are singing songs that help bring a lot of ease during this time and permission to feel and maybe how to reorient when you've lost your way. I hope you enjoy. Till next time. Thank you.